This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. The Hartford knows that being a founder means having to make a lot of choices and that you've got enough on your plate without having to worry about getting the right small business insurance. That's why they provide specialized products and insurance solutions that can be tailored to meet your needs. Find out more by visiting thehartford.com slash twist today. And NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get NetSuite's free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, when you go to netsuite.com slash twist. Upcoming launch events. Get your free Founder Pass or purchase a VIP ticket for Launch Scale in San Francisco, October 7th and 8th at launchscale.net slash tickets. Apply for the next Launch Accelerator cohort. Applications are due October 14th. Learn more and apply at launchaccelerator.co. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. We're here live at Neighborly. Thank you to my live studio audience. And we're doing office hours. Office hours is a very simple idea. Just like a professor might meet with people who are in their class and who are having struggles or challenges, and they might workshop or just debate their biggest problem, I decided to take that format and do it inside of our accelerator, the Launch Accelerator, uh, where we work with seven companies over 12 weeks to help them raise millions of dollars and grow their business, hopefully doubling or tripling their revenue. We decided to make this a public-facing forum where we're inviting anybody from the public to apply to office hours and to share with me their biggest struggle. And I will give them candid feedback, as candid as I can. Sometimes too candid, people say. Uh, It gets a little uncomfortable. But if you can face the biggest problem in your startup or your own personal development or in your life or with your extended family, whatever it happens to be, Boy, is it a huge unlock in my experience. If you solve the biggest, most acute problem in your business, things tend to flow uh, very easily from there going forward. What young founders or sometimes hopeful founders do is they work on things that are going well and they ignore the things not going well and then those chickens come home to roost, the company goes out of business, everybody loses their money and it's a disaster. First up, and he's agreed to complete and utter candidness is J-Lo. Jean-Louis is your name. Yeah, right. Your friends call you J-Lo. Yeah, yeah. Because of the stunning similarity you have to J-Lo. Exactly. It's, it's uncanny, I can tell you that. For the listeners, <laughs> this Frenchman looks like J-Lo. Um, so tell me, what is your company? So our company is Serendipia Life, and we are building a global network of co-living and co-working spaces in city centers. Great. Serendipia yeah. is the name of the company, S-E-R-E-N-D-I-P-I-A, Serendipia. Right. Uh, and you're French? Belgian. Belgian, okay. And uh, you're doing co-living, co-working uh, houses for entrepreneurs and digital nomads. You don't own these homes. You rent them. We're renting them. And then you allow people to live there. And mm-hmm. your business model is to take the margin between what you can rent Yeah. A house for a co-living space. Typically, I'm guessing a five or six bedroom, a big one. Or yeah, exactly. For the moment, it has been two, four, and five bedrooms in San Francisco. Perfect. So you get a four or five bedroom home here, yeah. which will rent for approximately fifteen hundred a bedroom. I'm guessing. Uh, Thirteen hundred per bed, but then we put two to four beds per bedroom. Okay. 
So you put two to four beds and people live like in a dorm yeah. uh, or in a bunk room yeah. uh, or in a hostel. Yeah, pretty and much. then people are allowed to live in city centers. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you start this business briefly? Well, I was solving my own problem. I was Got an entrepreneur. It. I was coming in San Francisco to chase my dreams. Mm. I had a tech startup. And then end up the co-living is what solved my problem of being able to live here, have an office, and a network. Great. And that's the best business I do right now. Awesome. So uh, entrepreneurs are pretty clever. And if San Francisco is 3,500 for a one-bedroom uh, apartment or 4,500 for a two-bedroom, they're going to come up with um, interesting ideas like this co-living or living like you're in a dorm. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing? So. <laughs> Right, right now, I mean, we have a lot of traction where people want to open our, our like, concepts in other cities or even more, more here. Mm-hmm. But the main challenge is how we can finance our growth. Because it's a hybrid between tech startup and real estate. Yeah. And we can finance it as a tech startup, as, as we work, as, with loans. Or, yeah. yeah, so you want to figure out a way to scale mm-hmm. and you can't raise money. Um, in your mind, you think you're a tech startup. But in the mind of people who are investing, we're looking at it going, you're servicing tech people, but this is a classic real estate play, not a technology play. And so I think we just have to level set here and say, if you were to ask 10 investors, is this a technology company or is it a real estate company? I believe nine or 10 out of 10 would say it's a real estate company. You believe it's a tech company. You would be wrong in this instance uh, that it's a tech company. You're servicing uh, people who are technologists. You're operating in Silicon Valley. But renting raw space, finishing it, refining it, and then uh, renting it again is real estate. The only way this would be perceived as a tech company is if you were a marketplace. In other words, you didn't have the homes. You just aggregated a bunch of rooms and bunks like Airbnb does, and you were asset light. You're asset heavy now. So in the industry, we say asset heavy, asset light. Mm. Asset heavy uh, would be neighborly. Neighborly rents the space, and then um, they hope to rent it for $94 an hour to other people. And they're using technology to do marketing. They're using technology um, um, to acquire customers and maybe an app, but it has, in this case, maybe people would say it's 70% real estate, 30%. Um, we work, big debate, is it technology, is it real estate? And so most real estate invest, most people will put it into real estate. Real estate is not a bad business. It's, the, it's a great business to be in. It just is different and you need a different set of investors. So the reason you're not clearing market is because you haven't proven that it is a technology business. The other reason, and I'll be super candid with you right now, is people who are investors tend to be a little bit older. They might be Gen X or boomers, baby boomers. They're going to be 35 to 65 years old, um, but probably leaning more towards the 45, like I am 48, uh, or in their 50s or 60s. They look at this, and they don't, it's so disconnected from their reality that they don't understand why it's important, because they never... Uh, They probably can't remember going to a city and saying, God, I wish I didn't have to live in Brooklyn. I could live in Manhattan. I wish I didn't have to live in Walnut Creek. I wanted to live inside Mm -hmm. San Francisco. So they're kind of disconnected from it. I think this is the type of business that you should find alternative funding sources for. And here's the interesting play for you. You should let people know that they have to pay 
three months of rent in advance to secure a spot. Now that seems like, well, wait a second, these people, it's so affordable, but you could do it like a Kickstarter. We're going to launch this new space when we have three of the five people available. And you target four or five locations, then you try to coordinate supply and demand, and you do it that way. Yeah. And you're gonna to have to have enough margin in here that you're gonna to have to, you're gonna be able to recover from breakage. In other words, somebody breaking the lease and leaving, somebody breaking the space and having a crazy party. What's the margin on the business? 20%, 30%? Um, 30%, about 30% on average. Yeah, so this is really slim margins. Uh, nothing can go wrong, right? So if somebody were, if one person out of every three or four were to break their lease, which is going to happen with younger people, right? They're going to just leave. You're not going to be able to chase them because you're going to be chasing, uh, you know, uh, trying to get blood from a stone. It's not going to work. So it's a challenging business. I think it's a fine business for you to do. What I would encourage you is to think about, is there a software layer or a marketplace where you can build a true technology business where maybe you said to people who own buildings, we're going to create software for managing this, or we're going to create a marketplace to manage the supply and demand of this in a, in a more interesting, scalable way. And it's fine to do things that are not scalable. Paul Graham always says, don't, from Y Combinator says, do things that don't scale. But what he means by that is do things that don't scale in your first year or two and then figure out a way to scale the hell out of them. Right? Airbnb was not scalable until it was, and you're in that sort of category. Uh, any follow-up questions? Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, also right now we have somebody in Miami who is interested to franchise it. So like the franchise model is like more scalable because then it's like uh, yeah. assets light. So that, if you're going to do the franchise model, uh, what you would say to somebody is, I will give you uh, the ability to do Miami. Uh, we'll give you a one year. If you can get up to um, 20 uh, customers per month, then we'll extend it. And then if you get to 40, we'll extend it another year. So you could say, make it performance-based, and then you say, we'll um, create the software, we'll help you with the down payment, and then we'll split that 30% with you, where you get 70%, and like the App Store, we get 30%. Um, that is a possibility, um, and I think young people are being really clever. In the housing crisis, you know, we're trying to attack it with Blockable, which is making housing that will be faster, and get to market two or three times faster at lower prices. Uh, but we need solutions like this as well. So I think it's a really great idea. Good yeah, luck awesome. with it. Thank you very much. All right. We'll be right back with more on Office Hours. <laughs> Hiring isn't about putting a want ad in a newspaper anymore, posting to some fugazi job board and waiting to see what knuckleheads apply. No. You need serious talent, right? You're growing your business. You need to reach the right candidates, the people who are going to fit in with your team and be A players, right? Well, where are you going to find the A players? You know where to find them. It's LinkedIn, of course. Members of LinkedIn are there to make connections. They love to go learn. Uh, and they like to grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. Maybe they're not looking for a job, but they'll opportunistically uh, take a little Peruski, maybe find something interesting, and that interesting company might be yours. Uh, in fact... A hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. That's it. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Somebody got hired on LinkedIn. That's how LinkedIn gets your job posts. They get right to the people who have the skills, hard and soft, to solve the problems you need in whatever role you're trying to fill. I know this because we filled a number of important positions here at our company by using LinkedIn. And I'm going to give you 50 bucks to use towards your first credit in just a moment. Here you see CMO Presh posting for our new client service manager position in our Toronto office. Uh, you know, we have this growing podcast and we need someone to maintain the client relationships and help us with growth and marketing and all that good stuff. So we write in the skills we need. We write the description. We add some additional screening questions. These are critical. Great hack. Screening question. Why do you want the job? What podcast do you listen to? You know, things that people who don't care about the job will skip. And it's all done within a couple of minutes. He sets his daily budgets and he's on his way to finding a qualified candidate. And the first $50 is on them and me. Your Uncle Jason. Go to LinkedIn.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com slash twist and get a 50, a 50, 50, 50 clams from LinkedIn and Jason. Go ahead. Go to LinkedIn.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to Office Hours. <laughs> now, that was pretty good. Uh, Sophia is here. She's from Resprana, R E S P R A N A, Resprana, yeah. uh, which is a personal air, air filtration nosebud. Yes, correct. Okay, so the brown cloud from India to Shanghai is now connecting. Yes. L.A., thanks to Trump, deregulating. Tremendous growth, okay? Yes. Tremendous growth when you deregulate. But when you deregulate and you allow people to pollute, here's the other part, L.A. smog going back up. Yeah. With a 30-year right. trend going down. Right. Tragic. So or you're going to make something yeah. I stick in my nose. Yes. That makes the air I breathe cleaner. Correct. So dystopian. Yes. I want it. This is great. Show it to me. How does it work? Please. Um, So I'm going to put the mic down, but maybe you can narrate as I'm doing so. (laughs) All right. Sophia has a little blue box and it's, uh, she's opening it and it looks like an Apple product and it's about the size of a little cube, like a, maybe bigger than a dice. Um, And then this looks like an air bud and she's literally sticking her air buds into her nose And this is not a put-on. I'm not being punked here. The world is so dark and crazy that you now have what looks like tribal piercings. But instead, your two nostrils are filled. You can pick up the microphone now. Um, Your two nostrils are filled with what looks like AirPods. Yes, yes. And it's not restricting your breathing in any way. Give me, close your mouth and give me a good inhale. It's working. And then exhale through the mouth. Namaste. Great. Um, so here, if I breathe in through my nose with these ridiculous looking um, respranas. Duos, yeah. Duos, the duos. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, hopefully not too much snot comes on no, them. But, no, pretty clean. Uh, you clean them off. I guess they're not for sharing. No, Personal use only. not, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's always a weird one when people are like, oh my God, listen to this song and they hand you your AirPod. <laughs> I'm like, really? You're going to love this toothbrush here. <laughs> Feel how firm the bristles are. Um, so is this for Shanghai and for uh, New Delhi where the particles per is, you know, 200 now and it's unhealthy every day? Or is this for during forest fires in California? Yeah, yeah. So you're right on to our segments, right? And so we've identified that there are very different use cases around the world. And the initial inspiration came from understanding the daily use case scenario in New Delhi in particular. Um, but what we identified is that as there's this growing market for people who are so concerned with their health um, and at the forefront of consumer products, 
products to better their health. Mm. There is also a huge use case for U.S. citizens, um, those who are living in cities like New York and L.A., where there are specific needs. L.A. for daily smog. New York, the subways are extremely polluted. Uh, cities like San Francisco, where we experience forest fires almost on a seasonal basis now, unfortunately. Uh, so there's the initial target market that we're aiming at is for those U.S. consumers who are using it on a regular basis during certain seasons and also traveling abroad frequently. What about if it's not a specific season uh, in terms of something acute like forest fires or smog uh, days where we have specific smog days in L.A.? Mm -hmm. There might be 10 or 20 a year, uh, but it's not 365. But if you were a runner uh, and would this increase my performance because I'm going to get less particles? Is there some other use case for optimization for the Tim Ferriss crowd that is trying to optimize their life? Definitely. Um, And maybe make better decisions because you're getting more oxygen or less pollutants? Yes, entirely. And so we are really aimed at that initial market. Myself, I'm an ultra runner. And so I often am running in not necessarily polluted environments, but very dusty environments. I also have asthma and very bad allergies. So um, obviously I'm needy and I needed a product that would protect me while I'm traveling around the world in polluted areas, but also on 50 mile runs when there's a dust storm. So you do a 50 mile run. Yes. <laughs> I've done 11 New York City marathons. I've never done a 50-mile run. I felt like I was going to die. If you add them together, Coming into more. Central Park. <laughs> but how long does it take you on average to run 50 miles? Uh, about 12 hours. 12 hours, yeah. 50 miles. Wow. So yeah. you're doing 15-minute miles. Yeah. So you start out running or yeah. jogging. Yeah. And Liberal you, term. Yeah. <laughs> so you're running, then jogging, and then yeah. briskly walking at times. Right. With like... 13,000 elevation gain. So What? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you done this? Just twice. Yeah. Next one's coming wow. up. Wow. What was the first one like? At what point did you hit the wall? Um, I My first one was in Mount Hood. And Where's Mount Hood again? Uh, is that in, Seattle? Portland? Yeah. Yeah. Seattle. Outside Portland. Outside Portland. Got and uh, I guess I hit the wall around mile 30, which was, mm. had been my longest run to date before that. Wow. Um, and we were going through six miles of snow. So... It was, uh, it was tough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, so the next day, I remember when I, in my marathon years, walking downstairs (laughs) was like getting hit with a club or a a shot, like a, like a, those things they shock bulls with. What do they call that? Like a stun gun. Yeah. It's literally like a stun gun to your knees and ankles. What do your ankles and knees and hips and joints feel like after 50 miles? More like the Tin Man, you know, just kind of like robotic legs. Walking. Yeah. It's just brutal. Yeah. The next day. What does it take to recover? About 10 days? Uh, About five, probably. Four to five. Yeah. Four or five days you can run again. Yes. Yeah. Got it. So you wear these while running. Does it slow down your air intake at all? No. In fact, what's interesting is that it's made me more conscious of my breathing. And so mm-hmm. this is in part the uh, inspiration for the name as well, which mm-hmm. Resprana is a combination of the words respire and prana, which means life, breath, and Sanskrit. Um, and the idea is that there are a lot of studies about mm-hmm. the benefits of breathing through your nose and having conscious breathing and having a product that you know is improving your health and it creating a perfect seal with your nose allows you to also enhance that conscious And this is not a smart device. It's not, doesn't have Bluetooth yet. It's not connected to your phone. Not at this point, right. But let's just project out five or 10 years and Bluetooth and it being a smart device Mm -hmm. was possible, Mm -hmm. which will happen in five to 10 years. If this was connected to your app, mm-hmm. 
uh, and you had a Respirana app, what would it do? Yeah, so we actually... Or have you thought about that? Yeah, definitely. So we are in uh, constant communication with a company called Breezometer, and they have some of the cutting-edge uh, technology in IoT solutions for pollution uh, data. So by uh, network effects, they're able to have a lot more information on what's going on with pollution to a block-by-block basis. So we could find real-time information on every every block we're walking you could actually on. Underst- you could actually understand what type of particle it was, too, probably the size of the exactly, particle. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so a small sensor on every Respirana product would allow for a greater network Got of uh, that connection. In the case of an anthrax-style attack, terrorist-style attack, mm-hmm. Uh, chemical attack, Mm -hmm. would this protect you in any way? Or could you make one that did? Yeah, so what we have patented at the moment is the exterior product and the way that the filter is inserted. And some of the the expansion areas are including other types of filters or um, even different kind of medications that could be consumed through the nose um, over the period of a day. Oh, well, that's super interesting. So anything that, and uh, what do they call it? uh, aerator, yeah. and yeah. is it called an aerator or an aspirator? So. Some term for it. Yeah. Anyway, you could shoot that mm-hmm. in micro doses Correct. through your nose yes. over time. Yes. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. And what about just putting a general flavor in it so I could smell the world? Like, if you're walking, if you're yeah. on Bart. Yes. <laughs> doesn't smell too great. Right. So right. you're saying I could have lavender fields yeah. on the BART. Yeah. Actually, we're partnering with a Japanese company called Takasago, and they are working in innovations across different types of scents and oh. uh, perfumes. And so that's also a, a possible application for down the line. And I'm supposing we could put cannabis in there, and we could all just be every time taking a hit, right? Right. Doing massive nostril bong meetings. Rip. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, you know, I always say you can, you can, you know, you've, you're onto something when people, after you've explained the basic product, have 20 ideas, and those 20 ideas, I'm sure, match up with yours. I didn't tell you anything in terms of my idea set that you didn't already know. I'm assuming. Right. Right. As a founder, you got to make a lot of choices. That's your whole life, is making choices, picking who your customers are, hiring new employees. Well, here's a choice that you no longer have to worry about. That is getting insurance. You need your insurance, and every company needs different levels of protection. Well, how are you going to figure that out? How are you going to make that choice? Well, the easiest way to make that choice is the Hartford. They provide products and capabilities that allow you to select a solution that can be tailored to your needs. The Hartford has a dedicated team focused specifically on the needs of small businesses, and they've had that team in place for over 30 years, and they were the first to do it. They serve over 1 million small businesses across the USA. Think about that. Over a million businesses are using the Hartford. The Hartford knows that technology is integral to your business, and when that technology fails, and listen, it happens to the best of us, the financial impact is huge. It can be life-threatening. It could kill your company. You could be sued over these errors, and we see it happen all the time. So most traditional liability insurance policies are not designed to respond to financial claims in a lawsuit. But the Hartford can help protect against these and other risks. And they can do it in a way that's right for you as an individual. So I want you to find out more at thehartford.com slash twist. H-A-R-T-F-O-R-D. The Hartford. 
hartford.com slash twist. You know it. With small business insurance from the Hartford, the buck's got you back. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. Um, so what's the biggest challenge that you have with Resprana? And what's the domain name so some people buy them? Resprana.com. Okay, R-E-S-P-R-A-N-A.com. If you're in New Delhi, a runner, asthma, et cetera, this might be a, uh, something you might want to try. Um, what does it cost, and then what's your biggest challenge? $25 for the initial sale, which you'll see here comes with a couple replacement filters, and then it's a $10 fee for six replacement filter sets, which you can either do by subscription or just as needed. Fantastic. What's your biggest challenge? You actually started alluding to it yourself. As we are seeking our seed round at the moment, we're having trouble showing that high growth value proposition of all of those other potential products while we're also still gaining momentum on our first product. Mm -hmm. So showing that we could have a multi-billion dollar valuation, but right now we're focused on the market for this filter. Yeah, so in the investment community, people look at products like this and say, this is not venture scale. Right. They might even say it's lifestyle. Um, what they mean by lifestyle, I've said this many times on the pod, is not an insult like you might take it. <laughs> what a lifestyle meant when people said this is a great lifestyle business, they meant not that it's a great lifestyle business, it's a great lifestyle. Like, I have a great lifestyle, I work one hour a day, I'm doing the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week, and this business generates enough money for me to just work on it four hours a week. What a great lifestyle I have. So they'll be able to figure a world where this has a 20 or 30% margin, you're direct to consumer, maybe you're in some select stores where people might have an affinity towards something like this, like a doctor's office, et cetera, um, but not for venture, not venture scale. And I think that's just the reality of a product like this. So I would not try to convince venture capitalists at this time mm -hmm. because they have too many choices of software companies. Yeah. Imagine you're a venture capitalist, and I'm a seed investor, angel investor, so I'm a little bit earlier than them, but the way they think today is, how do I put $10 million into a company and get 50 times that amount back? Right. So I want $500 million for the $10 million I give you. That's a big, big interest rate when you think about it that way. <laughs> so thinking about how hard that would be and what unnatural acts... Respirana would have to do to get that return, you might want to pause for a second and say, what are alternative funding sources for this? Well, there's obviously Kickstarter, there's obviously Seed Invest and Republic and you know crowdfunding sites mm -hmm. like that, where people might have a different uh, reason to invest than 50x. They might have a 5x window they're looking to get a return on, and they also might want to see you succeed in the world because they are emotionally tied to the product. Right. And I think that's the better way for you to go with this product. And then there are people who specialize in floating the receivables. It's called factoring, um, mm -hmm. where you sell the receivables in advance. And there are devices like that to help fund something like this. Mm -hmm. And I think matching the capital expectations and the, the funders to the founder is really important. The reason you're probably feeling frustrated has nothing to do with what consumers think of your product. It's right. that you aspire to have venture capitalists for some reason, probably good reason. You think you can build a billion dollar business and they think you can build a $10, billion, a $10 million business. And that's that gap. If you really do aspire to have them, you're in the product category in which you have to prove it. You don't get the benefit of software or marketplaces where people say, oh, it's a software or marketplace. If it, it, it's got a, 
if it does work out, it's got a killer margin. They're going to look at this and go, eh, if it does work out, it's going to get knocked off, you know, by the intellectual property stealing Chinese industrial cons, you know, um, complex where you're probably building these things to begin with. Um, so the factory where you're building these in China, if this becomes successful, will knock it off and put their name on it with some other person, right? Like, that's the reward you get for giving them your, your um, but we're going to beat China, okay? We're going to beat them, all right? I am the chosen one. Um, all right, that's the third and final <laughs> Trump uh, impersonation today. Um, yeah, so, and you might also want to give yourself the luxury of not going too fast on the startup. And this is from somebody who likes high-growth startups. <laughs> because I think the world has to catch up to this and the technology has to catch up to it a bit. Mm -hmm. You might want to think about this like you think about your marathon. Four miles an hour. As opposed to what we do in here in Silicon Valley, which is like, let's try to run, let's try to sprint a marathon. Yeah. Which is why so many startups fail here. It's because we're demanding people go at the pace of a sprinter. We want you to do a five-minute mile, and we want you to run a marathon. And it's like, there's like a small cohort of people who can do that, and <laughs> most of them are from Ethiopia. Like, <laughs> there's literally like a group of people who, you know, specifically have this this uh, nailed, and it's a very small sliver of people who can actually pull it off. And in this case, it's really not about you, so the analogy kind of breaks. Mm -hmm. um, but it's more about the market. Mm -hmm. The market is going to be slow. It's a weird thing to put this in your nose. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to convince people to do it. They're going to go, oh, I'm going to get snot on it. Ugh. And so you're going to need to have that time and need to have somebody with asthma say, this changed their life. And I think going after asthma users who need it all the time. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit earlier in today's program with another company um, about the beachhead you pick. Mm -hmm. And New Delhi is a great beachhead. And asthma is a great, and pollen suffers. So being able to have that little, you know, cube that looks literally like, you know, maybe two dice stacked on top of each other from mm -hmm. craps, to be able to have that in your pocket as an asthma sufferer or a pollen sufferer and you're out at a picnic and not have to take a drug to get relief. Like, what do they take? Um, Benadryl or something? Claritin, like, yeah. Claritin. Like, yeah. to not have to take that stuff in just one out of three or four cases would be the big unlock. Mm -hmm. So what my hope for you is you nail one or two customer segments and then you have a repeatable sales process that's profitable on Instagram, which is great for D2C. Are mm -hmm. you doing Instagram ads yeah, yet? Yeah. And it's working? Yeah, yeah. 60 bucks to acquire a customer? Paying customer? 50. Yeah, okay. not too terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can almost guess it at this point. I see so many startups doing it and like we're just started doing it for our syndicate where we're like, hey, if you want to learn about angel investing, mm -hmm. come to a seminar and uh, join the syndicate if you're accredited. And we can get people for 3 to $12 and then maybe one out of every 10 becomes a syndicate mm -hmm. member. It means $120 for us to acquire a member of the syndicate. We just okay. did it as a test, but it was an interesting test to run. So nail that and go slower. Forget about the venture capitalists. Give yourself the luxury of their nose making you say, I don't want them anyway. <laughs> I want to delight the customers and get them to pay for this at a very high margin. Mm -hmm. Make it higher margin. I think for an asthma sufferer, 25 bucks is so cheap. I would sell it at $199 for a two-year supply. Mm -hmm. And I would test that so that if you were spending 50 and it cost 50, mm -hmm. you make $100. And instead of having the venture capitalists 
do this. You spend the money on a great ad. You stop wasting time meeting with them because they're not going to get it anyway. And they've got too many choices on their menu. And make it from the asthma sufferer or the person in New Delhi who's an executive, you know, who mm-hmm. cares about their family and is in traffic commuting or something and can afford it. Like they're working at IBM in New Delhi, not they're working at the market in New Delhi and like $200 is like what right. they make a month. Mm-hmm. $200 for somebody who makes that in three hours or they're an attorney, they make it in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Go after those high-end customers and work your way down. Mm-hmm. It's way too cheap. Way too cheap for the value it provides, which is an extra year of your life, mm-hmm. an extra five years of your life in those cities. Right. People in those cities, you know these studies? Yes. What are they yeah. losing on average in terms of their lifespan in New Delhi and in Beijing? It's more like 15 years. Yeah. We're going to be sitting here in another 30 years, and people in New Delhi... People in Shanghai, Beijing, are going to be having um, asthma and lung cancer at a rate higher than smokers, Mm -hmm. and it's going to cause civil unrest, is my prediction, if it's not addressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So congratulations on the product. It is truly impressive, and I wish you great success with it. Where are you based? I'm here. Some of my team's in New York, so I'm kind of bi-coastal. Uh, okay. I, I like it a lot. I'd like to invite you to come to our accelerator and just audit it so you can learn. Yeah. And if you if you come for a week or two or three, just sit in there and let's talk about it afterwards and see if you pick up on some things. Because we had one or two companies that are doing consumer products. Um, one of them is called uh, was called Pantyprop. It's now called Ruby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they make... Um, like a period kit for your first period for Mm -hmm. girls and then uh, bathing suits that you can use uh, if you don't want to insert a tampon and um, if you're on your cycle and they're printing money and we invested in this company and nobody would invest in it and we were like you know D to C the margins on this are incredible and they're making like such a large amount of money we need to take this chance and boy has it paid up off for us like this is going to be a major, it could be a unicorn, and we're going to have been the bold investors who didn't get squeamish during the presentation right. about tampons and menstrual cycles, which a lot of VCs who I presented it to were like, Jason, okay, You're making me sit through a half-hour discussion of menstrual cycles, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, fortune favors the bold in this regard, and so I think if you can make it high margin like they did, and I'll introduce you to the founder, Crystal. She is very special. Um, yeah, she's in from great. Brooklyn, which makes her awesome and special in my book, because all the good people are from Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> I was born there, too. Uh, but I want to put you in touch with Crystal from Ruby, previously Pantyprop, and I think she can teach you a couple things. And let's see if we can get this high margin and, and then maybe make a go of it. I That's wish fun. you continued success. Sophia, all right, Thank we'll be right know. back with more. If you don't know your numbers, if you're not on top of your numbers, you don't know what's going on in your business. It's just a hodgepodge of a bunch of disparate systems, accounting, inventory, sales. You don't have any ground truth. You don't know what's going on with your business. It's a big, giant, inefficient mess. We know this is true. And you know what? If you don't know your numbers, that's going to hurt your bottom line. You're not going to be able to do forecasting. You might run out of money. You might miss opportunities. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It's the business management software that helps you handle every single aspect of your growing business in one easy-to-use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you visibility and control so that you can grow, and it will help you 
save time and money, and remove all those crazy headaches that you're dealing with now. You're going to get all of your sales information, your finance, your accounting, orders, HR, instantly on your desktop or huh, on your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. So here's your call to action. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide called the seven key strategies to grow your not your business, your profits, huh? Even better. And you can get this guide right now, netsuite.com slash twist. And here it is. I've been reading it. It's awesome. Netsuite.com slash twist. Go ahead and get it for free. Get that free guide, the seven key strategies to growing your profits. And, uh, you know, some of them driving down costs. That's another way. Huh? Tax, regulation, compliance. You need to know about that. Selling more to your existing customers, aka land and expand. Finding new channels to reach your customers, new revenue streams, and of course, unlocking global markets. So much good stuff in here. Go ahead and get it at netsuite.com slash twist. Thanks to NetSuite for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, welcome back to Office Hours at Neighborly. Next up is Eugene from Zyral. Tell me, what is Zyral? So basically what we do, if you've ever been inside of Panera Bread or McDonald's, you have that self-service kiosk. We give that to uh, quick service restaurants. And the thing that makes it special is on the back end, we take that POS data and turn it into autonomous marketing for that small business. Okay. So I'm well aware that Panera Bread, when uh, New York City went to $15 an hour minimum wage, was like, okay, who can we fire? (laughs) And they were like... Oh, cashiers provide no value. They're just sitting there. Let's have people order from the kiosk. Mm-hmm. And now McDonald's has kiosks. Correct. I'm not sure how that's going for them. How many McDonald's have kiosks now? Uh, I would say probably about 20 or 30% of them. Got it. And so that's going to be everywhere. Correct. And consumers are um, attracted to the kiosk or they use them under duress or they love them? No, they love them. Uh, we've Why do they love them in your... Uh, most of it is just because streamlining, being able to see the meals that you're about to eat because of the images, okay. um, things of that nature. So it's yeah. faster? Faster, all of that. Okay, yeah. great. And you don't need to talk to humans? Nope. So our dystopian uh, <laughs> journey to never talking to each other and having society become completely isolated silos continues and you're at the forefront of this absolute revolution just yeah listen i invested in cafe x right just get it but here's the joke where cafe x is so profitable yeah. that they can afford to have a greeter there to yep. just talk so to you just and ask you about your it. day and, and so i told them like instead of having nobody there I say we just hire somebody for 15 or 20 bucks an hour to play violin or guitar or read poetry yep because and then that would be like really an amazing world we'd live in if we just took the money from people pressing buttons and, and said, yeah, but if you play folk music or read poetry. And we've already got customers who are already doing that, uh, okay. having their customers do that. But now, aren't there bigger companies than yours doing these kiosks? And you're doing the back-end system to do a data analysis of that data? So are you agnostic to which system they use, or you want to sell them the system and do the data? So we, at this current time, it's a little bit of both. So we can go alongside of another POS uh, center if they want to have, like, you know, Square or someone else at that uh, cashier, and have the Zyro kiosk on the the, the back end. Um, Or if the person just wants to do Zyro kiosk 100%, which we have customers who have done that, um, you know, we've been able to do both. What do you charge them for your kiosk system at Zero? Z-Y? Zyro.us. Got it. Um, so the hardware is completely for free, uh, and then we uh, make a transaction model on the back end. How much per transaction? Uh, anywhere between 3 and 5%. 
Got it. That's an addition to their credit card fees. Correct. And how does that uh, compare to Square? So the, the 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 difference is mostly wrapped around Square. Doesn't have a self service. Um, Why not? Why it seems like so, a no. That would be a no. Brainer. brainer for them they, to let people order. They just pulled out of like a lot of the user interaction stuff. They decided to go all the way bank um, back end huh. infrastructure. So, so they want to go finance. They want to go finance, not okay. user inter- interaction. We'll see if that continues. What's the biggest challenge? So right now, I don't know if you uh, you probably don't remember. We talked about this I in do. February, yeah. um, and we had basically we're just a beta. You were a founder university or the accelerator application. I think it was founder university. Got it. Okay. Um, and uh, we just had a beta uh, a test. Um, so we went from basically zero to hundreds of customers in the last couple months. When um, you say customers, there are people paying you. Yeah, we went from, not free trials. No, we're doing about twenty five thousand a month right now. Yum um, yum. That's where it. I like to engage. Okay, continue. You <laughs> so, have me at twenty five thousand a month. <laughs> so we've been um, we've been growing at about sixty uh, percent a month, month over month, and oh. the transactions have been yum, yum. crazy. So the problem is seems like a kind of dumb problem to have, but the yeah. problem is that we're growing so fast that we're trying to balance the risk of spending money on the upfront hardware so we don't make our money back for three months. Mm. Yeah. So the balance of trying to do that with growth and like you knowing that if we, on our next round that we raise, the valuation of where we are, yeah. it's based on how much money we spend. Yeah. What does it cost for a key, per kiosk? So it costs us about five to $600 a kiosk. Got it. And most places have three? Most places will have one to two. Yeah. Like, so, and you're currently saying, let's not do these kiosks, let's not charge them for the kiosks so we have an easier time getting Getting into the store. Um, And have you tested, A-B tested, Mm -hmm. going into 100 restaurants and charging them up front for the hardware, Mm -hmm. and then having a discounted, a a lower fee versus having a higher fee and not charging? Have you A-B tested that? So we did, we did initially test that, and the, the, the major kickback was that a lot of the other businesses that do have a self-service kiosk, the upfront cost is five dollars $6,000 up front to switch okay. over the kiosk. So it was so a better, uh, better yours would only be 2000 Correct. Uh, to put in three and still be profitable. Mm-hmm. So I think you're making the classic mistake a lot of founders do, which is they are so um, desperate to get growth going to feel that, yes. You want to feel that yes, right? Mm-hmm. When you go in and you don't want to... Right now, you visit 10 places, you get two yeses, one yes? No, five. Great. So you don't want that to go down because you want it, you want it to go up. But you want that metric to go up, but it works against you. Mm-hmm. So what I would encourage you to do is just run a proper A-B test where you randomize the next... Do you do in-visits to uh, try to sell these? You, um, uh, you have a sales demos. process? Virtual Perfect. Demos, yeah. So I would randomize your virtual demos with your in-house sales team. Mm-hmm. Are you the in-house sales team? Or do you no, have I, we have a team. Yeah. Perfect. You have one or two? Uh, we have two. Perfect. I take the two. Mm-hmm. I would randomly assign them um, the first call of the day, the odd number calls mm-hmm. that they go out with. They try the $2,000. The even number ones, they try... Uh, the zero dollars up front, but a little bit of a higher fee. And I would do that test for a week until you get some meaningful statistics, like let's say 100 calls of each, Mm -hmm. and then see what the statistics say. Then I would discover another test. Then I would try, you know, $1,000 a kiosk, Mm -hmm. but fee-free for the first year. Mm -hmm. And then I would start taking that data and be able to, when you go talk to venture capitalists and seed investors and say, you know, we A, B tested this. Then we did a second test where we took, you know, 
overwhelmingly people took choice B, then we created choices C and D, and we offered them B, C, and D, mm-hmm. and we eliminated choice A. Then we brought back choice A, and we tried to do you know, choice C and D, mm-hmm. and just keep iterating on that. Yeah. Just like Lean Startup, Eric Reese's great book, or um, Lean Startup, um, and some of the great stuff on there. Just type Lean Startup, and you'll see a ton of people have different theories about this. But I think you got to A/B test it, and then present that to the investment community, Makes sense. and then you'll come across as super credible and considered. You already come across pretty strong now, and 25k is strong, 60% growth, strong. It would be even stronger for you to go to them and say, "Listen." We're bootstrapping now, so we charge for the hardware. But when we don't, we close 50%. When we charge for the hardware, we close 10%. We need your money to unlock that. Makes sense. Because a lot of times, investors want to know what's the use of the proceeds. Mm. And it makes them feel really good that they can be of use. Yeah. Right? So this is a huge unlock for you. You're going to the investment community and saying, we've got a great business. It's growing at a nice clip. We have one thing that's creating friction and slowing us down. It's that we charge people for the kiosks. Because we, we can't afford to just make it back in month 18 mm-hmm. or month. Right now, your payback period for the kiosk three is three months. You say, you know, right now, the payback period is three months. We can't float all this. So we um, got the payback period back to two months, but we charge a little bit. Uh, we want to just be able to triple the number of salespeople and be able to offer them three yeah. kiosks for free and training. And we want to put a big giant LED on the wall, which costs $600 to mount mm-hmm. or $1,000 to buy a mount that mm-hmm. shows the order that's next and shows the menu up yeah. there and has you know, um, uh, the ability for us to close deals even better. Because yeah. you could do that too, right? Yeah. Like the uh, Cafe X spot, when you order, it shows who's next at the yeah. time, you know, just like United Airlines does or some of these airlines do with who's on the wait list. Mm-hmm. They're investing in those monitors to share data, to make consumers feel more love. And yeah. to, so you could, there might even be a higher level of this. You might be able to get VCs to underwrite five or $10,000 in hardware. That makes it even better because do you have a kiosk system for tables with, re- with tables? Yeah, full service restaurants. We're working on it. Right. So I just went to Ramen in um, San Mateo with the fam and because it's so hard to get a waiter mm. and service people yep. in San Francisco, restaurants with like $20 entrees are now getting rid of waiters yep. and it's a little bit weird. You'd be like, well, I'm paying 20 bucks for ramen. Shouldn't I have a waiter take my order? And it's just like, hey, can you find us a waiter? <laughs> we yeah, can't find any. Yep. Thirty five Back to the 3500 a month to live in this town um, in a shoebox. So because they can't find waiters, that's driving more of these kiosks. Yeah. Even to restaurants that people would say, that's weird. Mm. Why would that restaurant have it? That's a high-end restaurant. Yeah. Um, I think eventually it's going to be like we're going to be sitting in tablecloth restaurants you know, with 30 and $40 entrees, and there'll be a kiosk on the table, and you'll just order oh, from that, you? and yep. people will be ordering, like, you know, $70 steaks from a kiosk and feeling good about it, and there'll be no more waiters. Yeah. Weird world. Okay, good luck with it. Awesome. Um, you're kind of in the... Where are you based again? Right here. Yeah, so you're kind of get into the zone for our accelerator. You know, 25K and growing is where we kind of like to meet with people, so let's follow up after awesome. the show. All right, thank you. Good job. All right, big round of applause for Eugene. Welcome back to Office Hours at Neighborly. Thank you to my live studio audience in the sweltering August heat in San Francisco. Global warming, it's not true, okay? It's the Chinese are doing global warming. It's a big, huge hoax, okay?
Omar, tell me, what is your business steps? Wonderful. What do you do? So we saw a problem in the world with the advertisement industry overall. Facebook, Google, everyone. Small businesses hate impressions, clicks, because they're not selling anything with that. So we created a platform that creates achievements for users so they can unlock the deals and the discounts that these businesses are already advertising on Facebook, Google, and so on. Okay. So instead of buying ads based on impressions, how many people saw it, clicks, which could be click farms or doesn't really mean anything, drive-by clicks and a small percentage of people do it, you're telling local businesses a very difficult market to go into, they should build loyalty programs. And the loyalty programs, like when you used to get a card where you click off 10 Frappuccinos, you get a free one at Coffee Bean. Um, in uh, Santa Monica, you get the free one, and you're going to enable that for local businesses. Essentially. Got it. But this is, the, this is where it gets interesting. Okay. So we are actually creating the first subscription-based marketing platform for those businesses to put their deals, which for them is continuous marketing, and for us, it's reoccurring revenue. Got it. So you're going to aggregate all the deals and present them to consumers and help them get customers, and you call this company Groupon. Yes. It's Got not. it. Um, so I bring that up because somebody did try that before. Mm -hmm. So is your business selling them the software and taking a SaaS fee, software as a service, getting money from small businesses to pay for the software, or is your business, I am going to um, deliver you customers, you pay us per lead, which is your business model? No, we uh, take a fixed fee okay. every single month, and that does not change. So if they have 1,000 customers or 10 customers, it's the same exact fee. Okay, so you're a and socialist. Exactly. Everybody pays the same. Exactly. Everybody has the same service. So, uh, but isn't that leaving money on the table? If I'm like a cafe with, you know, that does 5000 a month, and then somebody else has got a cheesecake factory that does you know, 500000 a month, why should we pay the same? So we will actually be addressing that within the next six months okay. uh, by adding a payment system into the app itself that allows right. the users to not only redeem the deal, but also purchase the product, and then we will be making uh, a fee off of that What purchase. is, and by the way, just point of order, um, you can pay Facebook and other folks based on leads. So there's another way. You can get a lead gen. We do that ourselves. Um, and you can pay them for uh, in-store visits, and they actually are closing the loop on that. So I think always be careful when you're pitching to an investor who hears every pitch, right? You hear How many um, startup pitches did you take in the last month? Zero. You're not an investor, right? Like you sat with an investor pitching you zero um, times in the last month? I've heard I'm some sorry, startups help ask me questions okay. because I've already right. like been in this for like 10 months, Got but it. I haven't like invested in companies. Right. So yeah. when you're dealing with an investor, remember they're going to have an asymmetrical advantage over you in that they've met your competitors and they've heard their pitch, you know, and they've gone 90 slides. So you got to make sure that if you tell us something, it drives with our, re it, it jives with our reality as opposed to um, here where you're saying lead gen doesn't exist and clicks and impressions. Framing it that way for somebody who knows that Facebook does other methods and Instagram does other and Google does other, it kind of just starts you off with like, okay, that's not correct. So make sure it's correct when in, in, you know, pitching an investor. And the way you can do that is if you find an investor who's candid like me, they'll help you with that. And we, that's one of the things we work on on Accelerator. What's your biggest challenge right now with Steps? The name of the company is Steps? Yes. So the app itself is called Stepso. And, Steps? Um, Steps O. So with an L. S-T-E-P-S-O. Steps O. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, the point system is actually uh, created by people walking around. 
and then engaging on the platform. So when you're sending messages to people, when you're walking around, all these points are building up, and then you unlock the deals and the discounts that we have on the app from the stores using those points. Okay, so you're watching my pedometer on my phone, Mm -hmm. and then if I do more steps, I get more points. So you're tying my fitness level or my, the, my walking level, because if I was swimming, you wouldn't have that, um, to the rewards I unlock. Why? Why? Because every single day, people walk an average of 8,000 steps a day. The average person mm-hmm. from work, especially in San Francisco. Got it. So instead of us showing, let's say Starbucks, oh, you got a dollar off your coffee from one to four, and putting it on an ad, we're actually allowing them saying, if you walk from, this, from your office, to Starbucks, that's 300 steps, you get a dollar off your coffee. And that's the idea. Got it. So you're trying to promote fitness and health in order to unlock people drinking 800 calorie beverages. Exactly. Okay, no, no irony there. Um, so that limits, so the, the benefit of that is people who are health conscious might be attracted to this behavioral mm-hmm. mechanism. And then there are the downside to that is you might exclude people who don't want to do steps. They'd rather do CrossFit or whatever, elliptical. And the other one is I guess there could be gamification, but I'm guessing the people who are giving the discounts don't care if they take it or they cheat and put it. You've seen these videos of the cradle in China. I've, so there's I've a seen. cradle you can put your phone in in China that moves it back and forth and emulates steps. So they actually made a device so you can put your phone in it and pretend that you walk 10,000 miles because some companies are tying health outcomes to steps mm-hmm. and movement, yeah, as so opposed to the most important thing, which is, I think, BMI. Putting that aside, what's your biggest challenge today? So our biggest challenge is uh, we're growing um, really well. Um, we're running around on scooters around the city, signing up new businesses every single day. And um, What does it cost th- to sign up? Zero dollars, Zero dollars. Right? Got it. Okay, so don't give yourself too much credit for that. Yeah. But, okay, keep going. Um, so the real big problem that we have is how do we change consumer behavior from looking at advertisements into understanding that this, you have reached this deal or discount and you deserve this versus you just seeing an advertisement that pops in your face. How do we change that consumer behavior Hmm. to make them really understand that this is beneficial for them and they earned it? Yeah, great question. So the good news for you, and it's a double-edged sword, is that you don't have to convince local businesses to do deals. Um, A certain percentage of them are all in. They understand loyalty, they understand deals. They're, they've had a decade of Groupon, Living Social, Foursquare, Google, Facebook, everybody knocking on their door, open table for 20 years, I think, um, and a signpost, just, which we're investors in. Zillions of people have, and now with all the delivery services, they're used to technology. They went from being completely not technically savvy to now having eight iPads at the front of the pizzeria and taking orders from them, and it's so, they're becoming so complex that there is now an iPad I got pitched on that unites all the other apps into one central location. That's where we're at with local businesses. So you don't have to educate them. That's why you're signing them up with no friction. That's great for you. The problem is, in order for them to pay attention to this, you have to beat out other things on their plate, like Uber Eats, Postmates, and DoorDash, which are driving massive revenue for them. So the benchmark is now high. You have DoorDash and Uber Eats driving 20 incremental you know, um, customers every day. 
which could be the difference between them being profitable or not. Um, and so there is a challenge there. What you haven't figured out is that the customer supply. You've got the supply down, the restaurants, but the demand side you're trying to figure out. How do you get customers to get into this? Um, and I think the way you get customers into this, if you're going to go after the health food conscious person, the fitness person, I would limit yourself, limit the focus just to that. They call this in the business a beachhead strategy or a wedge strategy, as if you ever chop wood. You seem like a guy who's chopped wood. Once upon a t- I think once, okay. probably. Yeah, when you oh, yeah. get good at chopping wood, you know, they have specific... You know, you can chop wood with an axe, but then they have another one that's a, a wood splitter, just for wood splitting. And it's really heavy, and you hit that wedge, and it just cracks the thing in half, as opposed to an axe, which is meant more to chop off a piece. So if you're using that wood splitter, um, uh, you know, it's going to be much more efficient. Um, and, and the analogy here would be, if you're going to go after steps, maybe you're going after people trying to lose weight or who are fitness nuts. Maybe there's a subset of restaurants that would love the idea of giving a discount to somebody who walked 10 miles yesterday. And they might be very interested in knowing who that person is and getting him into their uh, funnel because they know that the person who does a 20,000-step day is going to come there and love the kale and love the green smoothie and pay $11 for juice and then... The other customers who come through Groupon or Living Social, you know, they might be more interested in having a little Coke Zero, right? They're not going to ever pay $11 for a juice. So skimming the cream and getting the health conscious consumer might be a better bet for you because you're going after everybody. You're agnostic. I think that's probably the mistake. Um, If you're going to tie this to fitness, go all in. Maybe BMI, maybe if, hey, if they've lost 10 pounds in the last month, you're rewarding them and you're saying, hey, you did a great job, you know, and and they want to meet people who are in that process of losing weight and feeling great and, you know, buying new clothes, et cetera. So maybe you can skim all the health conscious people and they're worth more to other folks. And that's where the behavioral hook comes in. Now, once you have that behavioral hook, I can tell you that a major driver of behavior is peer pressure and groups. So Fitbit, the reason I'm still on Fitbit, the reason a lot of people love Fitbit is because they have a really great group feature. And when you're in a steps competition, we were doing step competitions with my friend, and we were doing $1,000 a day if you didn't hit 10000 so there's a real price to pay. I mean, these are maniacs, degenerates, but um, they're my friends. Um, that's the kind of stuff where the group feature, where you say, hey, if we all walk 10,000 steps today, tomorrow the 10 of us can go to this restaurant and we're each going to get uh, 50% off. So that would be cool. Now you've turned me into the 10,000-step person who loves their Fitbit, and I challenge my friends, hey, everybody do 10,000 on Tuesday. We go here on Wednesday. We get two-for-one entrees, and they get to bring 10 people to the place. So I, would, I think leaning into that health-conscious consumer is your best bet. And let's say you do aggregate them. What would the world look like if you had the you know, 25,000 people in your database in the 10 major cities who are the health nuts. What could you do with those 250,000 people? Well, if you had those 250,000 people in your app, using it, high engagement, and you went to somebody like Nike, or you know, they might be like, wow, you do have 250,000 people in all these cities? Okay, that's kind of interesting to us. Or if you went to Vitamin Water, that might unlock something. They want to do a special for them. 
So I would, or like these D2C brands, there's got to be a D2C brand like maybe Eight Sleep, which I love and uh, has been an advertiser on the podcast and I, I love it, or Peloton, which is an advertiser on the podcast, I love that product. Maybe they would want to tap in and say, yeah, you know, if you get your 10 friends to do, you know, uh, 30 miles this week and you collectively do 3,000 miles, we'll give you all 100 bucks off a Peloton or whatever, right? So I would pull that string and just get that beachhead. All right, good luck. Let's hear it for Omar. Thank you. Well done.